What? Hi, I'm Laura Ortiz, and I've decided that I'm one of the new hosts of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm also known as Benedict Cumberpatch. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Side by Saturday night. Good evening, everybody. It's TalkCast 155, and it is Sesame Street here on uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It really isn't, but I just felt like saying that. Deep in Area 51 on the sub-level 451, Book Burning and Frogert Pavilion, I am the Dome, and tonight, uh, due to illness, sleep deprivation, and the ever-popular uh, Karen Carpenter Syndrome, we have a very short cast. Uh, joining us from the Revere Time Vortex, in lieu of the uh, violent soundboard vixen. You like that, do you? I from do the stacks of her personal silent zone in the Dank Dungeon reading room, she's keeping cool, calm, and collected. It is the Zombrarian. Oh, yeah. Totally calm. Totally <laughs> calm right now. Well done, young lady. Well done. You'll be fine. Uh, I'm just sitting here with my buckyballs, throwing them against the wall. And if that sounds filthy, it's because it is. From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, it's a man who sits alone in a room with a pencil in his hand, whatever that entails. It's Illustrator X. Why do birds suddenly appear <laughs> every time you are near? <laughs> you couldn't resist the Karen Carpenter thing, could you? I <laughs> Who can resist Karen Carpenter? I mean, come on. Um, well, oh, virtually everybody face. who's... Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> but besides them. <laughs> Most living people? Like, that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, uh, Kriana is working off sleep deprivation, and the dead redhead has a Kathleen Turner syndrome again tonight. I'm just going to conference her in for a second. I'm well, too sick to do the podcast! All right, so there you go. <laughs> She's, uh, she'll be on playing that. <laughs> and we will have the full cast with us at the Rock and Shock Festival this weekend in uh, Worcester, Mass. Yeah, so, you know, blood, fire, yeah. famine, or disease. <laughs> or, or, yeah, <laughs> there is that. Oh, you know what? What? Speaking of uh, uh, famine, disease, and the end of the world, I no. saw what was virtually panned as a horrifyingly bad movie. Uh... Steve Carell's Seeking a Companion for the End of the World. Oh, okay. Did, did any of you guys happen to see that movie? No, but I thought it looked cute. I was going to, but I ended up combing my hair. You know what? Steve Carell movies go one of two ways. They're either incredibly cute and fun, like The 40-Year-Old Virgin was, Actually, it was filthy and fun, but or <laughs> but it was adorable too. It was it, like adorable it was. and filthy. It was. It like was. 
<laughs> or or they're just so so stupid that you want to choke yourself or somebody near you. It, it turns out I, I started for no apparent reason watching it today, and I was absolutely entranced. It was perhaps one of the sweetest science fiction movies I've ever seen, and with all the dystopian and you know hard science and aliens sucking the faces off Prometheus and the rest of that, to have a really sweet science fiction movie? I mean, you know, how, how is there a sweet movie about the end of the world? There is. This is it. And I don't say this often about movies, especially Steve Carell movies, but this is worth seeing. It really was so, neat. would you put it up there then with heart beeps? Oh, you know, it's actually just a tad better than Bernadette Peterson heartbeats. Oh, my oh, wow. God. See, and when I was seeing the previews for it, it looked like... It could go either way. Well, it looked to me like it was going to be kind of like the 40-year-old virgin, where at first very few people were going to see that see it, and it was kind of going to be this sleeper hit. But it never even got that and, far. Yeah, it, it never got off the ground. Yeah, and it really deserved to, and I think it's going to be one of those films that may show up because it's actually one of Carell's cleanest movies. It's one of those things that could probably be shown on television completely uncut. Oh, wow. And hmm. Good for Steve Carell, because that's harder to do than gross out it really comedy. Is. It really is. And I've got to tell you, the last 15 minutes of that movie were just heartfelt. Well, and Elizabeth Banks is in it, right? Yes, she is. And she's, and she's, she's a just wonderful. She's really, like, she's one of those people who I'm like, oh, she's in that? That's cool. And then you see her and you're like, she's basically good in everything she does. She's, yeah, it's not one. Elizabeth Banks, I guess, isn't one of those actresses that you sit and go, it's Elizabeth Banks. It's like, it's, it's Elizabeth Banks. And you, you forget because she's so understated in what she does in virtually everything that it's, it's not really one of those, oh, my God, breakout roles. But every one of them is just incredibly capable and, and solid performances. I'm really and, glad that she got the role she did in The Hunger Games because she's, she and Woody Harrelson, not yep. Woody Harrelson, yes, Yes, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. I, I was saying the wrong person for a long time. She and Woody Harrelson <laughs> together, they stole that whole movie. Yeah. They yeah, were in it for maybe a was, grand yeah. total of ten minutes and completely stole the movie. Yep. Yeah, so. I agree. So anyhow, though, I, I just wanted to mention that because it was one of the things that I happened to do today on one of those lazy, drunken days days of mine, which I, I've had a whole week of, and I'm feeling very happy about. Nice. So, I have a, I, oh, oh, wait, wait, I have, okay. I have a segue. Do it. Okay, so speaking of Elizabeth Banks in Hunger Games, she wears a lot of makeup, and speaking of makeup, makeup. Kiss yes. has a new album. <laughs> no, Kiss Forever is coming to visit us, that's what it is. No, no, that's even oh, worse. Uh, no, uh, sci-fi's, one of sci-fi's best reality shows Face Off uh, which is all about makeup artists uh, 10 makeup artists going head to head over a series to see who's the best uh, 
uh, got renewed for a force for season four. And frankly, it's one of the best shows on that network right now. All right. Now, I got to say, the guy, the first judge they always introduce, what's his name there? Oh, uh, Glenn Hedrick? Yes, yes, Glenn Hedrick. I mean, he, I, it's four seasons, five seasons now. How many times has he it's smiled? It's in its third season. Never. No, I've seen it. He's th- smiled once or twice when it, something has been really, really good. My theory is he got approached by Hollywood one night and was like, we're going to base a whole movie off of your look. It's going to be Battlefield Earth. It's going to be huge. <laughs> and he got... You're going to get all the royalties from this. I'm worried about him. His waiting. hair has been getting really bad. And yeah. I mean, this might be a girl thing, but usually to notice, but usually when someone's hair gets bad, it means that something is going on in their personal life. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it is a girl. And so I'm explain... concerned about him. Because that would explain, explain why I have things. no hair? It could be. It would explain Peg Bundy there in Sons of Anarchy, but that's not sci-fi, so we'll move on. Wasn't there something in the news you wanted to talk about, Dome? Oh, there was. There were there a few was. things. And we totally sidetracked it right from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, you know, our old buddy Stan Lee, you remember Stan Lee, he did some, uh, yeah, he was uh, kind of a peripheral figure in Marvel Comics for a while there. Not for very long. Anyhow, it turns out that uh, Stan Lee, uh, after he left Marvel, uh, formed a company called SLMI, which is Stan Lee Media Incorporated. Wait, wait, wait. And, he, he founded a company called Slimy? Let's just uh, think about those initials. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. I will bite through my tongue on this. So in in, in the 90s, after uh, leaving Marvel, uh, Slimy uh, <laughs> had all of the rights to all of Stanley's Marvel characters. Oh, did they? Well, they have, they have the contracts that says yes. And, of course, three years ago, Stanley sold the rights that he no longer owned to, to Disney. So, so, so there basically, Stanley Media is suing Disney for the rights to the Punisher, basically? Uh, yeah, evidently, and Deadpool, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I can't think of, uh, yeah, it was actually filed uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission. God, if that uh, isn't an argument for self-publishing, I don't know what is. Oh, it pretty much is, Some, yes. Somewhere oh, oh, oh. can I, can I, speaking of self-publishing. Yes. Can I, yeah. can I do a shout out to Tracy Hickman? Yes. And here's why. In in my drunken stupor this week, uh, watching all these movies, I also read the entirety of Wayne of Gotham. Yes. And oh, God, what a great goddamn book it is. I mean, you know what, Tracy? You can use this quote in it 
for whatever you want. This is one great goddamn book. The the uh, 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 the backstory of of the Wayne fortune and and oh oh, I mean I just sat there and I, I I'm sitting there and I'm reading and I'm going oh, every five minutes. It was ah uh, you just liked it because Harley Quinn shows up. It was it was a wonderful wonderful book and I would love to see more in this series using this backstory if I never well, read another Batman book this to me is the best one I've ever read uh, check your Facebook Tracy just announced that he's working on the another book in that series hot damn Woo! that's a Hold on. Mr. Hickman I salute you that's an amazing piece of work when he talked about it on the show like six months ago I, I said to myself, "This is going to be good," and man, it does not. It does not uh, <clears throat> leave anything on the table. It just gives you everything. It's wonderful. We might have to move that up to the top of the stack in the personal silent zone. You should absolutely do. That. You should absolutely do that. It is just so cool. I like how I say "we." We like it's not just me. But I'm doing. I'm being two people tonight. I'm me and Kriana. So you are. I you am are a we tonight. I'm like the queen you of England. <laughs> and I am also Benedict Cumberbatch. So, really? so tell me about your grandmother's TV viewing this week. Oh, my grandma! I I love talking about my grandma on the podcast. Um, and I always tell her, and she gets really embarrassed. So we know. Hi, grandma. Um, Hi, grandma. Grandma's Zombrarian. I call. I call her. <laughs> I call Grandma's Zombrarian every Tuesday, and so this week I was telling her about how I was all excited because I was going to watch Doctor Horrible on TV, and I didn't, I didn't go into the origins of Doctor Horrible. Okay. I just told her it was something that I had already seen and I really loved it and I was excited to see it on on TV because it was a new that format. Television, sure. And. So she watched it, <laughs> and my grand—my wow. <laughs> grandfather made her turn it off because he said it was too cute. So I'm guessing they didn't get very far. Well, they must have gotten past moist, but you know. Yes, <laughs> she did mention him, and she said that he was very funny, and she just loves him. He's so cute, <laughs> um, and she just loves Neil Patrick Harris. He's so cute too. Uh -huh. um, but my grandma really loved Dr. Horrible, so I feel like that's a really big testament to Joss Whedon's ability to have universal appeal. Like, my everybody jokes Zombrarian. about how he's... Yeah, Grandma Zombrarian loves Joss Whedon's stuff. Like, everybody jokes about how Joss Whedon is god of the nerds, but I feel like he's got universal appeal. I think we need to get Grandma Zombrarian an Avengers t-shirt. We do. You know there what? We go. should have her watch the entirety of Dr. Horrible or. and write a review for the blog. <laughs> oh, How about God. a t-shirt that says, meet me at the dollhouse? No. <laughs> I'm just going to draw the, way, the line right there because that's my grandma. <laughs> uh, well... Breaking news, here it is, from coming from Wayne of Gotham. Just finishing up the initial outline for Sons of Gotham, the next Batman novel proposal Holy from Tracy Hickman. Holy crap. That is amazing. So there we go. Uh, 
freaking awesome. Tracy Hickman, I salute you, man. This was, ah, uh, uh, hey. I'm going to have, yeah. What? Go. No, it's what? okay. No, just getting back to uh, the whole Marvel Comics thing for a minute. Yes, Yesterday, uh, the clock ran out, and the rights, the movie rights to Daredevil reverted from 20th Century Fox back to Marvel. Oh, thank you. Oh, time God. for another shitty so, film. Oh, sorry. Well, no, 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 no. Because Marvel has made all the Marvel Comics movies of the last few years, the Captain Americas, the Avengers, right. and all that. So right. the, the, the buzz is maybe they're going to make a good Daredevil movie. Is Ben Affleck available? <laughs> we. I mean, I thought we've he was kept... busy. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't care if I you can't even keep a straight face. Daredevil movie. I should be so, nice to him. He's a local boy, but I just can't. No, I don't. I don't think he deserves it for that one. Not for that. Honestly. Well, here's here's some movie news. Dome, I know this is gonna hit you hard. Uh oh, go ahead. Uh talking about Blade Runner two. Oh shit. Okay. Go and Ridley <laughs> Scott has confirmed it's a go, and was asked. Well, is it going to resolve the whole issue of of Deckard? He goes, well, you know, Deckard is a Nexus Six, so uh, I suppose he's got a his battery's got to run out at some point, oh, though. And it's like, well, I think you just gave away Blade Runner Two there. Let's kill that right there. Oh God! Spoilers. I heard it said ambiguous. You really do not know. Wow. Well, so, so much of of Philip K. Dick's work is ambiguous. I'm finding well, yeah. as I read through some of it. Yeah, virtually all of it is, and that's kind of the the, the appeal to it. Well, here's the thing. Now, uh, Ridley Scott may be messing with us. It is Ridley Scott. It, it is Ridley Scott. And usually There's... he's trustworthy, which is why I'm surprised at this. Yeah, why he would say that in an interview, or why he would even approach Blade Runner 2. Uh, well, there's well, one good reason to always do something like that. It's called money. I mean, you know, that's pre pretty much the reason that people go after sequels, and because they can, because they're there to make money. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, oh. there is. I mean, there's a lot in that world that you can explore. Again, Blade oh, yeah, Runner as a film bear doesn't even touch on the religious aspects of the novel. It, it basically ignores about seventy five percent of the themology in that novel. And and right. that's fine. I mean, that does give them room to play within that. But him being a, a Nexus 6, I don't know. I, I hope not. Speaking of uh, anticipating stuff, yes. Walking Dead uh, <laughs> premieres this weekend. And if, if you have Dish Network, uh, you're fucked. And why is... <laughs> well, cause, because Dish Network dropped AMC about six months ago. Yes. Oh, that's right. And on their Facebook page today, Dish Network said, Hey, look, uh, sorry about that, but uh, we'll be running Scary Movie at the same time. And that's really good, too, right? Completely comparable. <laughs> I mean, really, they're not going to be able to tell they're watching something different. Absolutely not. No, they're both filled with zombies. That's for damn sure. But speaking <laughs> of things that I'm actually excited about, yes, my dear. Have you did? 
it's not on the list, I'm sorry. They released the first five minutes of the first episode of American Horror Story Aside. Yes, they did. And it is as freaky as all hell. I didn't watch all of it because I didn't want any spoilers at all. But if I you watched, watched enough seconds of it. Of yeah, it you started you, getting them. You started, yeah, you started getting awesomeness. I'm really excited. I it know that so... uh, Dead Redhead is frothing at the mouth to see that. Anytime there's an ad, she will stop everything. Yeah, I I pause the ads, rewind them, and watch them again in slow motion <laughs> because there's so much to see in the ads. Like the amount, the level of attention to detail already for this season is so high, and maybe I'm getting my hopes up because maybe we'll get a lot of detail and no story. But I'm really excited. It's, really it's, excited. Yeah, it's a good franchise to be excited about. Oh, you know what? When uh, True Blood comes back for season six. Richter Hauer is going to be in the cast. What? No shit. Is that cool or what? Does this mean that True Blood is in the world of Blade Runner? Um, Maybe, but no. (laughs) But hopefully it lasts longer than Christopher Maloney did, which was four episodes before they staked his ass. (laughs) I'm having trouble seeing that. Like, I, I realize that it could totally happen, but I see him more as, like, cowboys and steampunky Wild West stuff and not so much True Blood. Well, who would have thought Christopher Maloney's character would have been that good? That's I mean, true. You know, Detective how, how many Stabler years on Special Victims awesome Unit did he job. do? I admit, I still called him Detective Stabler in my head and whenever they, <laughs> were, <know. laughs> whenever they referred to him by name, I was like, who? Stabler. Stabler. <laughs> okay. But, you know. Uh, oh. That makes me happy. Yeah, and and Ricker Howard, I mean, for God's sake, what can he add to that cast? Really, really cool stuff. Acting talent? Oh, my God, yes. So we'll have, um, what's his name? Alcide, the werewolf for abs. And we'll have (laughs) Sam for getting out of plot holes. Right. And then we'll have acting talent. So really, we've got everything at that point. Finally, now. Oh, I bet I know who he is, too. I bet you he's the vampire that own, um spoilers. He's the vampire that owns Sookie. Oh, now I have no need be. to watch the show. He's the vampire that the that her whatever number great grandfather made the deal with. Could well be. I'm hey. making that bet now and you guys can pay me later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and if you lose <laughs> I won't lose. I never lose. So remember about like six months ago that NBC was trying to reboot the Monsters TV series? Yes, and I was actually excited because oh, I love the Monsters. Are they still talking about that? Well, they spent ten million dollars. Why do I feel like Doctor Evil when I say that? Ten million dollars on the pilot for it, and they yeah. still didn't like it. <laughs> oh. uh, so what they've decided to do to make make up somewhat for that $10 million investment is run the one-hour pilot as a Halloween special called 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Oh, cool. I'm actually excited. Okay, yeah, they'll recoup their... their, Yeah, okay, and then there'll be DVD sales and all that sort of thing. But I can't can't imagine how if $10 million couldn't make it a good series, 
how good that pilot's going to be. But I don't know. We'll see. You will be watching, won't you? Uh, no. I will. But that's okay. <laughs> I will watch it and report back. And we will expect your book report in the mail. Check. Or your mail report in the book, either one. Ew. Which at this point <laughs> brings that's us to... Shades of Grey. <laughs> okay, one buck in the in the creepy jar for me. Thank you. Yeah, maybe two. Maybe two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, we haven't talked about uh, Data Does Picard. And we're not going to. We're no, moving forward because we're not thank you. Slash fiction it today. Up. Uh, which brings us to that point in the show where we talk about this week's Facebook poll. Dead redhead? <clears throat> no, not going to do it. <laughs> I gave you the in. You chose no, not going to. Not, gonna, not for a, not for three minutes. No. You, you this week's this. You know what? There are some Facebook polls where we just get a ton of responses on two or three answers. And then this, there's like this week where we get a ton of different answers. Uh, yeah, we had like weird. We had like over a dozen, you know, answers. People wrote in for like one vote or two votes each. But the question this week was, who's the best devil from movies or TV? And uh, we got some great great uh ones we you know ray wise and reaper was up there um we had uh danny elfman from the movie forbidden zone yeah which is a personal favorite so you know, kudos to everyone who's giving shots out there but uh it came down to oh wait no a- no 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 wait a minute before we do that there were some really 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 good ones in there too I mean, let's not, you know, let's not gloss over these. John Ritter from the movie Holy Moses. Who the hell saw that movie? Good for you. We had, we actually had two people, and, and it looks like they're brothers, who saw that movie. Uh, um, Ron Perlman in Hellboy. You know, very good, but it only no, got... No, I don't, I just, I will not count that. He wasn't the devil. He was Hellboy. That's like saying... Uh, John Leguizamo should get it for Spawn when he wasn't the devil; he was the Violator. Yeah, no, in Hellboy, some... he was he was a demon. He's not even like yeah. the Spawn of Satan. And uh, disqualified. And Peter uh, Cook from the 1967 version of Bedazzle. Yay, freaking team! Good yeah. for you. Good for you. I did. I, I appreciated the fact that uh, someone wrote in the Howling Man Devil from the, that episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. John John Glover from Brimstone. Uh, I can't count Gary Cole from American Gothic because we never settle the question of what he is. What he actually is. That's true. That's never settled. However, I was disappointed that not we only we got very few votes for my choice of Chernabog from Fantasia. Thank God. Anyway. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. All right. So, tied at number three is David Warner from Time Bandits. Who, what a great choice. God, a that's one of the choice. greatest ones ever. Yep, agreed. And tied with that is Elizabeth Hurley from the Bedazzled remake. Uh, uh, it was a horrible... F- yeah, she looked great. Yeah, I'll give you that. The devil had to look that hot. She did a great job, but I hated that movie. And uh, coming in at number place. two, and it was a close one between second and first, but second place was Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. Oh, one of my favorite films of all time. 
Really? Yeah, I love that film. I know there's not much to it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just surprised that, you know, of all the films you've seen. I know. It's a great film. I, 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 I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm a Pacino fan. And basically, I watch him read Shakespeare, which I've done many times. Anyway. <laughs> the winner. The winner. Bum, ba -dum, bum. Bum. Sorry. Tim Curry in Legend. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that yeah. Was, the, one of the yeah. great makeup jobs of all time. And if you're going to get someone to ham it up, you got to get Tim Curry. I suppose so. I suppose I, so. I, I was very pleased. And this was a great turnout for this one. So we will have a new uh, poll this weekend. Keep an eye out for it, folks. And if you've ever been polled by Sci-Fi Saturday Night, you know just how painful that can be. Creepy jar. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Creepy jar now. We're going to be able to get <laughs> steak for lunch on Saturday. <laughs> you know what when that means, When we're at and Shock in Worcester, Massachusetts. If you're listening to this, you've already missed it. <laughs> yeah, good point. All yeah, right. I was going to plug it and then I realized why. Yeah, it's kind of Department of Redundancy Department. Mm. And you know what that means, don't you? It's time to call the guests back, I hope. So dial the phone and call the guest. Oh, all right. Because joining us on the show right now is uh, Sarah. What, what was that dingy ding? I was it dingy ding. There's something in Kriana's office that is making strange noises, and I'm afraid to investigate. <laughs> joining us now is Mangaka. Sarah Mayhew. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute joy and pleasure to have you joining us. Uh, so I, I think what we should probably do before we do anything else is explain what man a mangaka is. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, basically, it's uh, the writer and illustrator of uh, manga-style graphic novels. Um, which are a type of comic book that um, originated in Japan and is made popular um, mainly by its animated counterpart, um, anime, with uh, popular series like um, Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z, uh, Naruto, uh, Sailor Moon. Um, Ghost in the Shell. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is um, the best definition I have ever heard. You, you've <laughs> been asked this question more than once, I suspect. Yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> so how did you get started doing manga? Um, I've always been interested in storytelling, and um, I was always encouraged as a young girl um, in the arts. Um, I, liked, I liked drawing. And so, um, when I came across anime in high school, it really seemed like, um, like something new and different, and I really became attracted to the, um, the art style and also the storytelling style. Um, so... Well, it is a very... It's a very different storytelling style than 
American fiction and American comics, isn't it? Oh yeah, completely. Um, most people, you know, they think of they think of anime. They think of oh well, it's you know just big sparkly eyes and well yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it's really, I mean, the the way you tell a story um, is is really a lot different than um, you would in say uh, an, a, a traditional American comic book. Manga is much more based in symbolism and emotion, um, and American comic books tend to be very literal. The example that I like to use is often in manga you might see a character all of a sudden um, burst into flames and it means that you know they're angry or they're fired up and not that they're literally on fire where in an American comic book if you burst into flames you're probably one of the Fantastic Four members. <laughs> <laughs> so at a very young age you started learning this style, uh, learning how to talk in this style and began drawing it? Yeah, I think um, as someone who's who is always interested in um, storytelling, I think comics um, is a, a pretty um, easy way to get into making a story. Um, it's something that you can do you know, on your own. You can write and illustrate and um, living in you know the web 2.0 era you can share your work um, a lot easier you know than um, than you know back in the <laughs> in the totally analog days um, so yeah I think it's it's something that was really easy to fall into as far as getting a story out there um, where you know when I was in high school it wasn't quite as easy yet um, to say, you know, make videos, make, um, you know, amateur, getting getting into amateur filmmaking was something that um, still hadn't um, sort of started becoming easy and popular and, and cheap like um, like it is today with YouTube and, um, right. and, you know, technology being a lot more affordable. Um, I think that would have been something that might have interested me um, as well as a young person. So I think, yeah, I think if you're interested in, in telling a story, um, comic books is something that, um, if you're artistically inclined, is something that you can kind of do, you know, on your own, <laughs> um, without, you know, needing a lot of equipment or other people, you know, involved. So, yeah. So explain so. this progression, if you will, <clears throat> from being a high school student, learning the way to express yourself in manga, and in a few short years, being a lecturer at the TED as a Long Beach TED fellow. I mean, that's quite a job. <laughs> yeah, um, I was so excited when um, when I found out that I'd be going to TED. Um, my entry into the TED conference was through a brand new program um, they had launched in 2009 called the TED Fellowship Program. Um, and I just simply, 
you know, we came across the TED website through friends that had mentioned that they um, thought I would like it. And while signing up for, you know, the regular um, website membership, I applied for this new TED Fellows program. And was wow. just, <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely thrilled when I found out that they had chosen me for this new program. Um, it was a program to uh, sort of help um, bring individuals from around the world who were doing, you know, creative and great things for their field or their community to bring them into the TED fold who might not otherwise have the resources um, to attend the conference through a regular membership. So they're how, really heady is, how heady is that for you? I mean, seriously, at that point. <laughs> I, I was, I mean, it, it really made a big impact on my work. It really, um, it really opened up a lot of opportunities. Um, I have, I owe a lot to, um, to the TED Fellow program as far as, you know, promoting my work and um, the things that I learned um, being at TED and yeah, it was just a really amazing experience um, and yeah, it's kind of this different world you, you enter in and it really had a big impact on my work. Sarah, for those of our listeners who might not know, and for Joe, who I know will never, ever admit it, um, can you just really quickly explain oh, what the ass. TED conference is? <laughs> um, yeah, sure, absolutely. Because it's, it's hard to explain, and I'm hoping since you're a writer, you have the words to do it. Yeah, TED stands <laughs> for um, Technology, Entertainment, and Design, and basically it's an idea conference. Um, that brings together the the leading you know people at the cutting edge of their fields in technology, entertainment, and design. Um, they come together, and um, TED has really made itself popular with their website and their TED Talk videos um, that they post um, on a regular basis. And so you have these twenty minute talks by um, people who um, are really the cutting edge of their field um, and yeah it's kind of it, this you know huge idea conference that brings together um, people from all different kinds of disciplines with the goal of um, ideas worth spreading so getting all these people together to see you know um, you know how how can my fields um, be useful to yours and vice versa so it's really about idea sharing thank you that's excellent that is that is really good I've never been able to explain Ted concisely like <laughs> <laughs> well Sarah tell us something about your projects tell us about things like Legend of the Zatar yeah um Legend of the Star is my um, my newest manga series, um, and uh, it's it's really tied quite closely to 
um, my interest in science and skepticism and with my uh, my work which um, I, I spoke at uh, TED 2009 on the fellowship stage and at the TED simulcast in 2010 at TED Active in Palm Springs. Um, the focus of my work is trying to create stories um, that are not only entertaining and um, that you could connect with emotionally, but that also present stories and characters um, that promote and inspire people to become critical thinkers and, and interested in science-based thinking. Well, I have to say, it, Legend of the Zatara certainly works. Uh, there was a part, of, without spoiling anything, there was a, a part early on where these two characters are fighting and instead of giving off like a big manga blast of energy or something, uh, the other, one character is maneuvered into accidentally uh, getting getting this plant all over them. Right, and yeah. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> clever. That's clever. It's like, aha, see, now you are going to get this allergic reaction and so on and so forth. I'm like, oh, that reminds me of like old Carl Barks, Uncle Scrooge's or, or old Tintins where you have <laughs> like, yeah, well, no, because again, unfortunately with a lot of manga, that I've read, it's like, and then an energy blast came from their hand and beheaded them. And I'm like, come on, guys. But no, this was very well thought out. I really liked it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really hoping to combine um, sort of the the things I like best about my, my different interests. I, you know, I, I'm really drawn to the energy and the fantasy elements of anime. Um, but also my interest in science, um, you know, I, I prefer characters who can think their way out of a problem rather than simply, you know, always fighting their way um, through the plot lines of a story. So I think it's a balance between creating something that is, you know, visually um, energetic and has um, that appealing, you know, fast-paced, fantasy, um, sci-fi action that, um, that people love about anime, um, but combining it, showing that you can have, um, a story that isn't full of, you know, sort of pseudoscience, um, paranormal, uh, belief systems, so that you can, you can have characters in a fantasy setting that still promote, um, sort of the values in science-based thinking. Why is that important? Why is that important to you? Because it seems to be something that permeates a lot of what you do and is kind of seminal to a lot of your work. Where, at what point did that become an important aspect of the work that you're doing? Um, it really came about um, when I was in uh, just after I graduated, I was in a program called the Young Entrepreneurship Program, and this program was um, to help young people uh, start their own businesses, which mine um, was being a freelance illustrator. And I discovered in this program, through the program coordinator, um, having interest in astrology and Reiki and um, oh boy. <laughs> the, the law of attraction, it was 
it was kind of my first exposure to a lot of new age beliefs and I didn't really realize um, I guess it was my first time experiencing just um, how people used science um, to sciencey sounding words to try and um, you know back up their their new age beliefs like we, we don't believe in you know silly newspaper horoscope astrology we believe in you know uh, real astrology that works with like quantum Ooh, those are two words that don't go together real astrology real astrology with like electromagnetism and quantum <laughs> entanglement and um, so it was really my first time being exposed to um, just really trying to grapple with this idea of how you know I, I knew these people they sounded right they sounded like they knew what they were talking about but I just had this feeling like you know it wasn't true and how do you you know how do you distinguish what sounds like is true or what we might want to be true um, versus what actually is true and so that was my sort of gateway into finding um, skepticism and really the tools of figuring out like here's here's how you can start breaking apart you know a claim to see how it stands up to um, you know, the critical inquiry and it, it is a, an important thing for me um, I, I think you know this I mean I'm inspired a lot by Carl Sagan you know um, his work was all about you know how important it is to have a scientifically literate um, society especially when so much of our lives is um, you know in, involves technology and how dangerous it is to mix you know ignorance of science with you know high technology and and such a science-based um, society so I do think it's important um, to have a, a scientifically literate culture to to have a population that knows how to distinguish um, between you know claims that are are based on evidence and those that aren't and I think entertainment is a great tool to get across um, certain messages to people um, that might otherwise be difficult to just sort of plainly you know say in lecture mode <laughs> um, do, you, do you find that there's a, a large segment of, of readership that doesn't really understand that difference I know that I um, I feel like as an artist with not a lot of formal scientific training I just had you know sort of a outside hobby interest in science I know as a young person you know there's some areas where I couldn't distinguish you know what was science and what was pseudoscience you know you get interested in UFOs or um, you know crop circles and um, well they're interesting they're, you know? they are and they're they 
to someone without formal scientific training, they can they can sound science based. You can make these arguments that um, they sound like they know what they're talking about. And then when you just learn a little bit about critical thinking and um, how we can trick ourselves about you know learning about how um, our mind is just always. Uh, falling into these um, cognitive uh, cognitive errors and um, you just have to learn a little bit about it and you start to immediately be able to see things a lot clearer between you know identifying a claim that um, just doesn't have the evidence to back it up and, and those that, that probably do. It's really an interesting mix from my perspective the the, uh, the the manga and as as a means of expression and the manga as a means of cognitive skepticism yeah I mean um and that wasn't a question oddly enough but I just realized that <laughs> Joel has a bad habit of I really do saying oh, things that God. seem like questions that really but aren't. they're not yeah and that was but one of them. sorry about that <laughs> No, I think, you know, that um, it's a balance between, I mean, manga is so based in symbolism and emotion, and um, I think I think it's um, a really great way to, you know, science can seem sort of cold, and, you know, it has a stereotype of being kind of, you know, full of logic and devoid of emotion and passion. Um, when that really isn't the case, and so I think taking, you know, on the one hand, this art that is very um, emotionally appealing, using its style and its way of of telling a story, of communicating, and filling it with sort of the meat of um, science and the very truly inspiring and um, amazing things that that come out of that field. I think the, the two combined, um, I think, is, a, is something that really interests me. <laughs> One thing, just as, as a, a fellow artist, um, your style is with manga. The thing that always surprises me with manga is that, it, for the most part, it's a very sparse style, uh, because I got into it through anime. And with anime, I could watch that, I could freeze a frame of a film and watch it for 10 minutes, just picking out all these little details and hundreds of little colors and everything. And it's very heavy. Whereas manga, it's very sparse and light, and I can read something like Star and realize, oh my god, I just read 50 pages. <laughs> and it worked. And it's story-based. And I got the feel of the story from it. It's a very light, and it, it complements the story very well. So I was afraid it was going to be something like, uh, sorry, Dome, but something like an Isaac Asimov thing where it'd be like, and wow. then, and then we went into a 20-page discussion on why this battery works. Like, no, <laughs> this is really fun stuff. Don't give me Susan Calvin crap right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is. It's very fun stuff. And now, where are you going to be appearing, uh, Sarah? You got some upcoming uh, shows? Yeah, this month um, I'm going to be heading to Nashville for SciCon. 
um, which is a science and skepticism conference um, hosted by the Center for Inquiry. They're holding that um, in Nashville? Yeah, it's... it's Way to go, Tennessee. It's going to be my first time in Nashville. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. They're having a Halloween costume party and everything, and um, I'm really excited to do my talk. Also, uh, this month on the 20th, I'm having a uh, live draw Google Hangout, um, which is my uh, my second broadcast. Last month, we um, had our first one, and... By the way, sir, I lurked at that one. It was quite <laughs> fun. Quite fun. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, so for $5, people can purchase a uh, a manga sketch of whichever um, whichever sort of fandom character you can think of. I will draw it for you. Um, and then you tune in on uh, Saturday to the 20th to watch it be drawn live um, and we have you know sort of a fun hangout and talk about all sorts of geeky things um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, people can check that out by you know circling me on Google Plus or uh, following my Twitter feed um, at Sarah Mayhew um, we're going to have links to all of this on our site as well <laughs> yes great yeah, and then I'll be in Ottawa um, at the end of November, the beginning of December, um, for a, a new science and skepticism uh, conference called um, Esh- Eschaton, I think it's called. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, it looks difficult. Eschaton. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a it's a conference at the end of the world, I think they're calling it. Um, yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, for the whole Mayan calendar thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. We're better to celebrate it than Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Sarah, thank you very much for being on. Uh, we wish you good luck with your projects and your appearances, and I'm especially looking forward to more uh, issues of Legend of the Zatar. Uh, please, if you don't mind sticking around uh, after the show drops, we want to uh, do some wrap-up with you. Sure, but thanks. Yeah, it was absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, X, uh, when you hear the music, you should probably talk about what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, when yes. I hear the music. There should be music. I don't know why there's it's not music. Better start Hopefully. humming. Stop Stop. Just stop. Because this is one of those. This is one of those upcoming guest lists that just makes me just. Oh, baby. No, it's yeah. it, Next, the music is playing. Just go. <laughs> Maybe I, it's I'll, recording. I don't know. I can't say I have faith in that because we've just been talking with a skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> Next week is our three-year anniversary show, and to celebrate, we bring back an old favorite author. Spider Robinson will be here. Cannot, cannot wait to talk. Cannot about wait to talk to Spider again. Then, on October 27th, con season's not over yet, Sue Soares shares the guest list for this year's Rhode Island Comic Con. On November 3rd, Dresden Files author Jim Butcher will be joining us on his latest release, Cold Days. Then on November 10th, help producer Ethan Kalk fund the Kickstarter project Star Trek Renegades. Unbelievable. And, uh, 
no, you know, da, 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 da. will we be interviewing a few special guests from the Trek universe? You're going to have to tune in and find out because it I, just might happen. I'm just saying, Chekhov and Tuvok are attached to the project. Just I'm saying. just saying. And on November 17th, an old friend of the show stops back. New England horror writer Rob Watts returns with a follow-up novel to Hold a Folk. So keep an eye out for the Sci-Fi Saturday Night cast at the Rock and Shock Festival in Worcester, Massachusetts on Saturday, October 13th. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, and of ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music <laughs> provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold a Folk, at Rob Watts online. Dot com. Dome? Could that have been any more hesitant? Yes, it could have, but it was. <laughs> I want to thank Sarah Mayhew for joining us tonight. Sarah, it was a pleasure listening to you, pleasure talking to you. We wish you much good luck in your upcoming events. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. From the Revere Time Vortex, Kriana is sleeping, and Grammar Girl's Umbrarian. Thank you, my darling. You're welcome. Sorry, Rob. I, I pressed <laughs> play. It's just not there. From the four-color vault of comics, the dead redhead is dying somewhere in the corner. Thank you, Illustrator X. Uh, I raise a glass to you, my good sir. Oh, good lord. Uh, this is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. And there should be music here. There Who should knows? Be music. <laughs> there will be in the post. So my first I wife know. said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, be quiet. <laughs>